Acts chapter 9. Do you ever look back in your life and see some of the things that you've learned in your life? Do you ever look back and do that? Some of you um, obviously don't have quite the lifespan that others have, um, but I said that very kindly. I don't know if you noticed that, but I did. I worked really hard on that. <laughs> so, but... We don't have the same life experiences, but all of us have life experiences that have taught us something. And again, obviously, um, I don't have some of the experience that many of you have, but I have many things in my life that I look back on that have taught me, uh, taught me some things about myself, taught me some things uh, about life, uh, taught me how to treat people, how not to treat people, different things like that. And I think no doubt all of us have some of those times in some way, shape, or form, uh, but some of them are fun times. I look back and I remember some things that I learned as a kid, and they were fun to learn. And I remember learning them, and uh, I didn't get in trouble. Uh, learning doesn't always have to be negative, right? And so I was glad that I got, had some of those fun times. And obviously, some of the times that I've learned and some of the lessons that I've learned were from bad things that I've done, uh, dumb things that I have, have uh, gotten myself into. But here's the thing. Lessons are taught on a daily basis. Lessons are taught on a daily basis. Here's the question. Do we learn from them? Lessons are taught on a daily basis. Do we learn from them? Most of the older folks sitting here would understand, yes. Lessons I have learned over the years, I have and I have not learned from them. And most of them would say, I would love to impart that wisdom upon someone else, whether it be my children or just someone. But lessons are taught on a daily basis. Challenge and the question is, do we learn from them? Saul is the main subject of our character, the main subject of our text over the last couple of weeks, and he has just met Jesus on the road to Damascus. Bright light has shown, he fell off his horse. He was blinded and spoke to Jesus Christ. He's been blinded, baptized, and he's been preaching in the synagogues. Much has changed in the last little bit for Saul, who we will find out to be the Apostle Paul soon. But Saul was confounding the Jews. Saul was proving Christ. And I want to pick up the story with me, if you would, in Acts chapter 9 and verse 23. The Bible says, And after that many days were fulfilled, the Jews took counsel to kill him. But their laying await was known of Saul, and they watched the gates day and night to kill him. Then the disciples took him by night and let him down by the wall in a basket. And when Saul was come to Jerusalem, he essayed to join himself to the disciples, but they were all afraid of him. Believed not that he was a disciple, but Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared unto them, how he had seen the Lord in the way, and that he had spoken to him, and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. And he was with them coming in and going out at Jerusalem, and he spake boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus and disputed against the Grecians, but they went about to slay him, which when the brethren knew, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him forth to Tarsus. Then had the churches rest throughout all Judea, and Galilee, and Samaria, and were edified. 
and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Ghost were multiplied. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for all you've done for us. Thank you for allowing us to be here this evening. And again, Father, we do ask that you would help us to learn from the lessons that you've taught Saul here and the lessons that you'll teach us. And Father, lessons that every one of us has to learn. I pray that you would help us to be uh, uh, cognizant of the fact, Father, that you have died on the cross for our sins. Help us to remain focused upon that. Help us to always remember, help us to never lose sight of that. And Father, we love you for that. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I'd like to preach to you a message that I've entitled simply, Lessons Learned. Lessons Learned. Here is something important that I think we all need to understand before we delve into this. Saul is a real person. Some of us, uh, myself included, look at the Bible as a storybook, and it is, but it's a true storybook. Sometimes we can look at it as fictitious. Sometimes we can look at it as, come on, did these things really happen? This is real. This is real life. This is his real story. And these lessons are lessons that Saul really had to learn. He really did. And these are lessons that I believe every one of us will really face at some point. The question is this again, will we learn from them? So tonight I want to give you four lessons that Saul learned here in our passage. Number one, he learned the reaping and the sowing. The reaping and the sowing. Acts chapter 9. Look at verse 23. The Bible says this, And after that many days were fulfilled, the Jews took counsel to kill him. But their laying await was known of Saul, and they watched the gates day and night to kill him. Then the disciples took him by night and let him down by the wall in a basket. Does anybody see what's going on here? Saul is receiving exactly what he had been giving. Saul was persecuting Christians. Saul was killing Christians. Uh, He was the one holding the coats at Stephen's death when they stoned him for preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ to all the people around. So this is who Saul was. Saul was persecuting Christians. He had the, uh, the papers signed by the high priest to go and arrest all of the, the, the Christians, anybody who proclaimed the name of Jesus Christ, and he, he was that man. He was that man, and can you tell already? Can you see what's going on? Already he is reaping what he sowed. He's at Damascus, and the Jews that are at Damascus Obviously, they know who he is because he's been teaching and preaching Jesus Christ in the synagogue. He's confounding the Jews, as verse 22 taught us, and he's proving that this is very Christ. Again, verse 22, and so we begin looking at this, and Paul begins uh, uh, preaching and teaching in the synagogue, and we see that the Jews don't like that. And so they plot to kill him, and they lie in wait at the gate of the city, and they are going to kill him. Obviously, Paul finds out about this. Don't you find it ironic that the exact same thing that Saul was doing to others was happening to him? It's always, we we use the word ironic, and we just go, huh, isn't that something? But in all reality, I'm pretty sure you can guarantee it. You will always reap 
what you have sown. This is that principle. You will always reap what you have sown. I, I grew up and worked on a farm. Every time, I'm telling you, every time we planted corn, we got corn. We never, never planted corn and got beans. It never happened. We planted wheat. You would sometimes get wheat when you planted wheat. Sometimes it would die. But you would never get beans or corn when you planted wheat. You will reap what you sow. Let's go to Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6 and verse 7. Galatians chapter 6 and verse 7 if you, with me if you would. Galatians chapter 6 and verse 7. The Bible says this, be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he reap. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. But he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. Verse 8 really is the key. If you sow to your flesh, you will of the flesh reap corruption. And if you sow to the Spirit, you will of the Spirit reap life everlasting. You see, what you sow is what you are going to reap. So it's not ironic it's not a scratch your head and go, huh, isn't that something? Isn't that crazy how it all works out that way? No, God designed it that way. God designed it that we will reap what we will sow. How many of you have learned this lesson? <laughs> I have. You can live your life however you want. Do you realize that? You can live your life however you want. You can say whatever you want. You can do whatever you want. You can be whoever you want. But you will always reap what you sow. Saul was living his life how he thought he should be living it. Going around, persecuting the church. I mean, that he even calls himself zealous toward those things. He, he, was, he was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. He was doing everything that he thought was right to do. And he was passionate about it. And he was working hard toward it. And he was doing whatever he wanted to do. But the fact of the matter is this. He reaped what he sowed. Immediately, almost immediately, as soon as he begins preaching, now he is running for his life. I think that perhaps Paul might have, excuse me, Saul might have regretted some things at the time of reaping. Don't you? Again, the Bible doesn't tell us this. I just like to think the way that any normal human being thinks. Maybe I don't think like a normal human being. But when you're in a season of reaping what you've sown, have the, has there ever been a time where you regretted what you've sown? Absolutely. I can just imagine as Paul is being let down in this basket outside of the wall, I can't imagine that he would not be thinking, man, I wish I wouldn't have done this to everybody. Man, I wish I wouldn't have, have, have tried to destroy people's lives because that's exactly what's happening to me. I regret it. Maybe he asked for forgiveness to God right then and there. I don't know, but let's see. Look at your life. 
Look at the things that you are doing. Look at the things that you are saying and ask yourself this. Do I want these things to happen to me? How you talk to your coworkers, how you how you act with your spouse, how you how you I mean fill in the blank, look at your life, the things that you're doing. Do you want them returned unto you? Do unto others as you would have them do unto you, the golden rule. We all know that. We all understand that. Because someday you will reap what you have sown. Someday it's going to happen. You will reap what you sow. There will be some things that undoubtedly you will want to happen to you. There are things that I do for my wife that I want her to do for me. That's sometimes what we do, but there are many things in my life that I do to others or say to others or act to others that I have no way, I do not want them back. But someday I'm going to get them back. It may not be immediately. It may not be when I expect it, but guaranteed you will reap what you sow. It's going to happen. The first lesson is the reaping and the sowing. The second is this, the anxiety of acceptance. The anxiety of acceptance. Look at verse 26. The Bible says this, And when Saul was come to Jerusalem, he essayed or, or wanted to join himself to the disciples. But they were all afraid of him. And believed not that he was a disciple, but Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared unto them how he had seen the Lord in the way. Now he had spoken to him and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus, verse 28. And he was with them coming in and going out at Jerusalem. The key that I want you to see here is at Jerusalem. He went to Jerusalem. Do you remember the last time we saw Jerusalem in the life of Saul? The last time we saw Jerusalem in the life of Saul, Saul was getting paper signed by the high priest. Paul was buddy-buddy with the high priest. He was having a good time. Maybe they were, they were standing around laughing and saying, oh, we're going to get these Christians. I don't know what they were doing, but they were, they were friends. They were tight. They were accepted by one another, and they began talking and saying, listen, we're going to go out. You go to Damascus. You go get those Christians, and you bring them back. So let me ask you a question. <laughs> Can you imagine the anxiety of acceptance that Saul would have had? Who is he going to be accepted by when he gets back to Jerusalem? First of all, why would you go back to Jerusalem? It's pretty brave. But who, when you walked into Jerusalem, who were you hoping to be accepted by? The high priest? Don't count on that. Because by now, for sure, word has gotten back to the high priest at Jerusalem about what has happened in Damascus. About how, how Saul was teaching and preaching Jesus Christ and the transformation that has happened. And now the Jews are laying in wait to kill him. No doubt the high priest has already heard what's he going to say to the high priest. I bet you the high priest was ready to kill him. I bet you the chief priests were ready to do, take him and, and, and do with him as he was going to do to all the other Christians there at Damascus. I can almost guarantee that. So was he going to be accepted by the high priest? Absolutely not. And was he going to be accepted by the Christians? Well, we see in our passage, look again there in verse uh, 26. 
And when Saul was come to Jerusalem, he essayed to join himself to the disciples, but they were all afraid of him and believed not that he was a disciple. Can you blame them? Listen, if I know somebody was uh, destroying churches and, and arresting people, and all of a sudden he said, no, 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 it's okay, I, I, I want to come. I want to come to your church. Do you think that we're just going to waltz in and let him come in? Not me, not this guy. Because listen, you've got to prove that. So he wants to come in and he wants to, he essays to join himself to the disciples. They're like, no way, man. We're not letting you into our inner circle. We're not showing you where we meet. We're not showing you anything. Get out of here. And so now there's this anxiety of acceptance. He wants to be accepted by someone. And listen, all of us have this in, in built into us. Every single one of us, I don't care how much of a lone wolf you are, there's some part of acceptance built into any, all of us. Humans are social creatures. We want to spend time with other people. We want to be accepted by other people to some extent. We all have the desire. But often we will do strange things to be accepted. I remember somebody saying to me, stick your tongue on this flagpole in the middle of winter. Praise the Lord I was smarter than that. That's the one thing I was smarter than. But people do that to be accepted by their friends, right? Hey, this will be really funny. Stick your tongue on the, on the flagpole or wherever it is. Just do it. It's funny, 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 funny. We want to laugh. And they do it and they're in pain. Sometimes we will wear some crazy and uncomfortable things just because our friends say it's cool. We all do it. We all, to some extent, have some part of acceptance. We want to be accepted. And we all have this struggle. And the temptation for Saul was, when he was rejected by the Christians, could have been this. Could have been to revert back to the people that had already accepted him before. Listen, if you were put into a position where you are no longer a part of the chief priests, but yet you're not quite the Christians, and the Christians are supposed to be the accepting people, and they're the ones who are supposed to be good and, and right and godly and all of this stuff, and you are trying to get into this group and you can't, what's your immediate reaction? Well, pfft, forget them. It must not be real. Throw it away. It's no good. And a lot of times we see it often. We see people come to church and try to intermingle and try to get in. And if they don't get in right away, they're right back with their friends of the world. So no doubt it would have been a temptation for Saul to go back to the chief priests and say, Listen, I know what you heard in Damascus. That's not all true. It, it could have been a temptation because the Christians didn't accept him. But instead, God used this to teach Saul a lesson. The lesson is this, that no matter who accepts you, God has already loved and accepted you. See, a lot of times in our life, no matter where we are in our life, no matter what stage of our life, we can have this anxiety of acceptance. God, I just want to fit in. Teenagers, I just want to fit into my school. I just want to fit in with my friends. I just want to fit in with my surroundings. I just want to fit in. I just want to be accepted. 
Well, listen, chief priests didn't accept him. The Christians didn't accept him, but God had already accepted him. God just says, hey, come as you are. Come as you are. I will save you just as you are. We sing that song, Just As I Am. But listen, that doesn't mean we stop there. That doesn't mean we just lay it all on the line and that's it. That's all we ever do. But God already loves you. He accepts you. He wants you to keep working at it. He wants you to keep getting better. He's already given his life for yours. You are accepted by God. So I don't know what the pressures are in your life. I don't know what acceptance you're looking for in your life. But know this, God has already accepted you. And God wants to use you in that capacity, whatever it might be. Now we see in this passage that it took a little while and it took a little bit of coaxing. Barnabas comes alongside and says, come on, let me introduce you to the fellas. Let me introduce you to the guys. Let me pull you in. And he doesn't just go to the disciples. He goes to the apostles. Did you see that? He goes to the big honchos. He goes in and says, listen, guys, he's real. He's the real deal. He met Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus. He's been teaching and preaching Jesus Christ at Damascus. He's the real deal. And then we see in verse 28, and he was with them coming in and going out at Jerusalem. You see, it would have been easy for him to go back. But instead, he just rested in God. Instead, he just trusted in what God had. And then Barnabas comes and pulls him inside. And he is then accepted by by God and the Christians. So sometimes we can have the anxiety of acceptance. Number three, the third lesson I want you to see is the pressure of patience. The pressure of patience. Look at Acts chapter 9. Look at verse 29. And he spake boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus, he being Saul again, and disputed against the Grecians. So not only was he fighting with the Jews, now he's, he's arguing with the Grecians. This guy's awesome. But they, being the Grecians, went about to slay him. Verse 30. Which when the brethren knew, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him forth to Tarsus. Things are still not looking good for Saul. He's trying his hardest. He's doing his best. He's giving it all he has. And he's now made friends with the, the apostles. And all, all things in, in some ways are just not really going the way he pictured them perhaps. People are still trying to kill him. But Saul has been just really chomping at the bit. He wants to teach and preach Jesus Christ. He wants to give his testimony. He was raring to go if you will. He was excited about what God had for him, what God had already done for him. But people are still trying to kill him. That's not too exciting to me. Probably wasn't too exciting to Saul, but look at what the disciples do. Verse 30, which when the brethren knew, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him forth to Tarsus. The disciples take him to Caesarea, put him on a boat. And send him back to his hometown. Saul, you're creating too much of a stir. Saul, you're, uh, you're going to be killed. We need to get you out of harm's way. So what are we going to do? We're going to send you back to Tarsus. We're going to send you back to your hometown. Perhaps his mom and dad were still there. We don't really know. But all we know is this. Saul stays here for an unknown time. We do not hear about Saul again until Acts chapter 11. 
And you know where he's at? Tarsus. He stayed in Tarsus for we don't really know how long. But a lot happens between now and then. So again, picture this with me. There's the zealous, over-exuberant Saul that wants to do something for God. And he's just sent away back to his hometown. We don't hear about him. We don't hear him doing anything great there. We don't hear him preaching and teaching Jesus Christ there. We don't hear anything about him until Barnabas comes back in Acts chapter 11 and says, I need Paul. It's as if he's just sitting around wasting time. And if you're a zealous person and you can't sit still very long, you know what this is all about. You can't stand sitting still. You just want to do something. I remember uh, when I first, uh, when Beth and I first got married, because I'm American, I couldn't work. Terrible. For the first two weeks, I loved every bit of it. I slept in till noon. I watched movies all day. It was awesome. I finished the DVDs that we had in the house, and I got sick of sleep until noon, and I was bored out of my mind. I had to do something. So I started working for free. I roofed for free. I didn't, uh, they didn't pay me a couple times. I did some shove, snow shoveling. I did anything I could get my hands on just to get out of the house. I couldn't sit still any longer. And I can just imagine Saul being this way. Man, I'm trying to preach Christ. I'm trying to give everything I have. And these guys just send me away. They just push me aside. They send me to my hometown. We have no idea how big Tarsus was. All we know is he's sent there. He's staying there. And listen, he just had to be patient. He just had to be patient. We'll see in a few weeks that God had something great waiting for him. There are times in our lives that we need to just be patient and wait on the Lord. Most of us don't like that. Abraham didn't like that. David didn't like that. I believe Moses didn't like that. Most of us don't like being patient. But I want you to turn to James chapter 1 with me. James chapter 1. Look at verse 2. James chapter 1 and verse 2. The Bible says this, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. Knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh what? Patience. Ugh. But let patience have her perfect work. Did you catch that? But let, meaning we have the responsibility to let patience work. Let patience have her perfect work. Why? Why should I do that? Watch this. That ye may be perfect and entire Wanting nothing. You see, again, as you look across the Bible and as you look across Abraham, and you go, Abraham, are you dumb? If you would have just waited, we would not have any of these problems that we're having in our world, our society today. What's wrong with you? 
Let patience have her perfect work, Abraham. God promised you something, just wait. I think the same of David. I believe that uh, uh, Solomon was Bathsheba's son. We know that. Solomon was the next king after David. So I personally believe that God would have given Bathsheba to David eventually. But he didn't wait for it. He wasn't patient. And now for the rest of David's life is just turmoil after turmoil after turmoil. David let patience have her perfect work. Moses got upset at the children of Israel, wanted them to understand now. He strikes the rock twice. Unfortunately now, Moses, you can't go into the promised land. Let patience have her perfect work. Why? Why should we do that? That you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. Listen, I really don't understand all that was going on for Saul to go to Tarsus. We don't understand it. But perhaps Paul was thinking something to this effect. This is ridiculous. I'm sick of waiting. If this is how God is going to use me, then I'm out. Or perhaps he would have done something irrational and gotten himself killed. We don't know, but all I know is this. When God was ready for him, he knew exactly where to get him. Tarsus. Go ahead, jump ahead. I'll I'll allow you to do that. Jump ahead in Acts chapter 11. Find out what God is going to do with Saul. It's absolutely amazing because patience had her perfect work in his life. There are times in our lives when we need to just be patient. Saul was a zealous man, but now he had to be patient. Sometimes we need to just let patience have her perfect work. Sometimes we just need to relinquish control. Sometimes we need to just let go of what we think is best and allow God to work out what he needs as a side note, I did not put this in my notes, so if it goes poorly, you know where it's coming from. The Bible talks about, with the children of Israel, it says this, that the iniquity of the Amorites was not yet full. So God had the children of Israel wait just a little bit longer before they entered the promised land. Until the iniquity of the Amorites was full. Look it up. The iniquity of the Amorites was not yet full. Hear this. God has perfect timing in everything. So if you're going, God, why me? Why now? That's okay. But just realize God has perfect timing. There's something in it. Let patience have her perfect work. I want to show you the fourth thing. The fourth thing is this, the tranquility of trusting. The tranquility of trusting. Go back with me to Acts chapter 9. Look at verse 31. Acts chapter 9 and verse 31. The Bible says this. Then had the churches rest throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria and were edified. And walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Ghost were multiplied. Up until this point, the church had really been in upheaval. The over 8,000 people that were at the church at Jerusalem, every single one of them was gone. Except for 12, the Bible tells us. 
The people were scattered. They were running for their lives. And everyone was just kind of in hiding as so it seemed. But having all things entrusted to God, now things have worked out together for good. They have come through the other side, if you will. And God has given them peace, rest, comfort, and even, I love it, multiplication. Multiplication. See, there is a tranquility in trusting. And I don't know if any of us young folks can understand this. Some of you older folks have lived this. You've come through the other side on some things, and you may not have been perfect, but you know the peace that passes all understanding when you come through on the other side having trusted God. Children have this tranquility, I believe. You look at children, they have just a carefree attitude. You know why? Because they don't have bills to pay. They don't have to worry where their next meal is going to come from. They don't have to stay up late getting some work done for the next day. They don't have the pressures of life. They're just easy going. It doesn't matter. It's all good. My parents will take care of it. It's all good. They get to enjoy life. They get to play. They get to laugh. But when you get older, all of those responsibilities are now on you. You have to work at them. And you have to be responsible. But the tranquility that comes from trusting God gives us that peace that passes all understanding. If you can think of yourself as a little child trusting in Almighty God and just saying, God, I know you'll take care of it. All I need to do is seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. I want you to think about a famous verse that I'm sure every one of you could quote. And I want you to think about it in its purest form. I guarantee you it's a tranquil verse. Romans 8.28. And we know that all things work together for good. To them that love God. To them who are the called according to his purpose. When I read that verse, it's just as if I... That doesn't make the problems go away. It doesn't make the fact that we still have to pay bills go away. It doesn't make the fact that we still need our, our next meal just go away. But it's just trusting in someone else and there's just a tranquility in that. This is where the church is at in this. Then had the churches rest throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria and were edified. And walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Ghost were multiplied. Through every single one of these lessons, I believe the biggest lesson we need to learn is to trust God. To trust God. You reap what you sow. Trust God to do the right thing. There's this anxiety of acceptance. Hey, don't worry about everybody else. Just trust God. Oh, there's the, the pressure of patience. It doesn't matter what you want to do, just trust God. And I can almost guarantee that there will be a tranquility, just a peace, just an interesting joy that you can't even explain that goes along with it. Lessons are taught on a daily basis. 
I would almost bet that all four of these lessons are taught on a daily basis. Let me ask you a question. Are you going to learn from them? Will you learn from them? 